Okay, well, um, let's pray before we open God's Word together. Uh, Father, we are thankful. We are thankful that we can gather here this morning, that we can uh, sit under your Word together uh, and consider what you have to say from it. And so, uh, give us ears to hear. Uh, keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus um, and, and enlarge our love for Him. Pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. So, uh, in our household, we sometimes have dessert after dinner. And uh, I will often ask Casey this question, and that is, uh, like if we're getting, like let's say, ice cream, I'll ask her the question, do you want more or less? So I'll get some, scoop it in a bowl, present it to her, do you want more or less? Because sometimes she's like, that's too much, I don't want that, uh, so then that becomes mine, uh, and I'll add one more scoop, and then, or, or she'll say, I want more, that's not enough. Like, that happened last night, I, she wanted a little, she wanted a little bowl, but then I didn't put enough in it, so there it is. Uh, so I was like, okay, gotta get more. But sometimes I ask that question to my kids. That's like the dumbest question ever, right? So, and it's like, it's subconscious. I didn't mean to ask them because I obviously know what they would say if I offer this up. But I'll say, Piper, do you want more or less ice cream? Uh, every time, Dad, more. If you're going to let me have more, I'm going to take more. Well, uh, yeah, that's, that's silly. Uh, actually, interesting thought. Uh, Judah actually... The other night, we were having salad, and he asked for more. Like, what is happening in our household? The kid wants more salad. I think he just likes the ranch dressing. He's like a sauce guy. Judah loves sauce. So I think he just wanted the ranch, but he asked for the salad, and he ate the salad. So we're turning corners. Um, But in our our passage this morning, we are in Luke 8, and we're going to be starting in verse 26. I will read it as we go. And in this passage we have a similar question. Do you want more or less of Jesus? Do you want more or less of Jesus? Now that, that seems like a pretty like obvious question, right? You, you hear me ask that. And if you came here like willingly this morning, you, you came here of your own volition, you're thinking, the answer is more. I want more. Now perhaps if you're like me, Your feelings don't always say that. Like, I may not feel like I want more of Jesus. There are times I have to battle against my desire to want more of of something else. And we'll talk about that this morning. There are two natures wrestling inside of me. I have a new nature. I'm a new creation. God has, has given me a new heart with new desires. By his grace, he's transformed me. If you're in Christ, the same is true of you. But sin still remains. Until I'm in glory, I will still fight against my sinful desires. And my sinful desires, they don't want more of Christ. And so I'm constantly battling to want more of Jesus. So at minimum, you could say, I want to want more of Jesus. I don't always feel like it, but I don't have to listen to my feelings. I don't have to submit to what they're saying. And so when it comes to my will, I want more of Jesus. So that's the right answer, and we know that. Uh, But God is gracious to us, and he gives us, all over the place in Scripture, reasons for why we should want more of Jesus. Reasons. Two of them this morning. I mean, there are hundreds and hundreds that we could consider from all over the Bible. We get two reasons this morning for why we should want more of Jesus. Reason number one, he rules over all things. And we see that in the first half 
of this account this morning. So we're starting in verse 26 of Luke chapter 8, and I'm just going to read about halfway through the passage. Then they sailed, this is Jesus and the disciples, they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. Now this is a pretty crazy story. I mean, this man, he was demon-possessed. And we're talking in in some pretty serious ways. He was said to be out of his mind. He wore no clothes. He lived in the cemetery. I mean, people, they they avoided him. He couldn't be bound. Like, he overpowered ordinary men. And so people were saying, don't mess with the guy in the country of the Gerasenes who lives in the cemetery. Like, stay away from that guy. You don't even need to, like, I, I don't have to explain who he is. You just see him. Stay away from that guy. Now, Jesus is obviously different. Jesus has no problem going and encountering this man. Why? Because even the demons submit to Christ. He rules over all. So we we see kind of a connection to, to last week's passage. When Jesus calms the storm, we see a connection between that passage and this passage. We see last week, the wind and the waves, they obey Jesus. The created order, nature, submits to him. He has authority over his creation. And we see that he also now has authority over the spirits, too. These evil spirits, they they submit to him here in Luke chapter 8. Now, it's interesting how this whole kind of interaction unfolds. It helps us to, to really frame our understanding of spiritual warfare. It's real. There is a spiritual realm that is unseen where Satan and his forces of evil, they are trying with all of their might to thwart God's plans. And yet, in the midst of that, it's not what I think sometimes maybe Hollywood has has kind of uh, made us to think. It's not this dramatic, chaotic conflict where we're unsure of who's going to come out on top. It's not an even playing field between good and evil where we're just like, I wonder how this is going to play out in the end. From the start, God has always had the not just upper hand, but complete control of the situation. This is probably, I would say arguably, the most well-known account where, where Jesus interacts with, with a demon-possessed person. And that look, look at from, from, from beginning to end, who is in charge? Is Jesus. The whole entire time. I mean, the, the demons here, uh, not only do they, do they fear Jesus, but, but when Jesus shows up, 
they don't even try to hide from him. They don't even try to avoid him. Look back at, at, at verse 27. Okay, They actually, the, the man with the demons actually comes to Jesus. Look at verse 27. When Jesus stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. So the demons, they come to Jesus. And they already know, like, this is a lost cause. The ruler of all things, he is on the scene. It's like they're saying, there's no point in avoiding Jesus. There's no point in trying to get away from him. He'll come find us. Like, no matter what we try, let's just get this over with. Let's go to him. Let's plead with him. Let's beg him to go light on us. And so the man with demons falls at Jesus' feet. And the demons are begging him to have mercy. Please don't cast us into the abyss. This would have been a place where, where evil spirits would have been held captive, where they would have been in confinement. And the demons didn't want that. They were like, well, if we can't be in this guy, we just we want to still try to kind of be free. We'd like to be free. We want a measure of freedom. So, so Jesus grants their request. He casts them into the pigs. And the pigs ran into the lake and drowned. And if we just think about the pigs for a moment, sad day for the pigs, right? They didn't see this coming. <laughs> they're just like grazing, eating their grass, enjoying the day. And the next thing you know, they're drowning in the lake. They're like, how did this happen to me? Where did this come from? Um, it's a bad day for the pigs. But they're not the point of the story. The point is the demons, they submit to Jesus. They're in, they're in complete control. Or Jesus is in complete control. Just like last week. The wind and the waves, they obey Jesus. The demons, they obey Jesus. He is totally unfazed. He is the ruler over all things, including these demons. And they were no joke. Like, these weren't like, like little minor demons. I mean, this was like, this is one of the, the most extreme cases that you could think of. This man uh, was, was overpowered by them, and, and they were intimidating, they were strong. Um, they were they were no match for ordinary people, but Jesus is not just an ordinary person. He is God in the flesh, and so they are no match for him. Because they knew he has authority over us. Jesus is the ruler over all things. And so we should want more of him. Remember, we're asking the question, do you want more or less of Jesus? Well, if Jesus is the ruler over all things, we should want more of him. Because all things are under his control. All circumstances, situations, trials, difficulties, they all fall under his sovereign power. Nothing trips him up. Nothing freaks him out. Nothing can make him come unhinged. Uh, I don't remember, and that's sad, I don't remember which sermon it was, but I remember Steve emphasizing in one passage how nothing stresses Jesus out. And that is true. Jesus is not stressed out. Nothing can overpower him. Nothing can thwart his purposes. Nothing can stop whatever he has decided to do. And that should give us peace and comfort and reassurance if we're his. If I belong to him, then I'm I'm held by the one who rules over all things. I want more of Jesus. Well, reason number two. Let's look at the second reason for why we should want more of him. And that is that he sets us free. Read with me verses 34 to 36. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. 
Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. So this must have been been a, a real shocker for the people. Here was this man who had been out of control, who had been out of his mind, wandering around the graveyard, possessed by demons, and now he's a completely different man. The demons are gone. He's clothed. He's in his right mind. This is an unbelievable transformation. It is so unbelievable that the people, they don't respond appropriately. Instead of rejoicing and celebrating and praising Jesus Christ, they're scared. The transformation is, is so unexpected that they're, they're afraid of Jesus. I, I love the book, A Christmas Carol. I've referenced it before in sermons here. I will definitely do it again because it has some great parallels to the Christian life. So for those of you who haven't read the book, or, or watched a movie adaptation of it, first of all, you really should. Uh, so this Christmas, put down like your, I don't know, like Amish romance novel, and read a good book, read A Christmas Carol. And second of all, I'm about to give away the ending, but third of all, if you don't know the ending to A Christmas Carol, like, where you been? Um, no, I'm just kidding. Maybe you don't, that's fine. Uh, but I'm about to give it away, so I'm sorry, but it's your own fault for not having read it before the sermon. You should have come prepared for the sermon this morning. So uh, that's all I'm saying. Um, main character in this story is Scrooge. And Scrooge undergoes this incredible transformation, much like this demon-possessed man. Uh, Scrooge is a man who, who was, he was cranky, he was greedy, he was selfish, he, he only thought of himself. He burned bridges with people and he didn't care, he was just focused on himself. And in this story, Scrooge is met by these three spirits on Christmas Eve. They're, they're good spirits. This isn't like a connection to, to demons. Um, and, and they're the, the spirits of Christmas past, present, and future. And they help him to evaluate his life. And as he makes these evaluations through the night, he, he is a changed man when he wakes up the next morning. And he goes out, and he is now, he is now completely different. He goes and he's reconciling with people. He's laughing. He's singing. He's dancing. Um, I, I love one particular movie adaptation because they just capture like this man is now he is in his right mind, but he like almost you think he's out of his mind because he's just so overjoyed that he is no longer who he once was. He's a changed man. People are, are not sure what to do with him though. Just like the people in this fashion, they don't know what to make of the the transformation. They look at him and they think. There's something wrong here. Again, this is in the movie. Uh, he goes to, to Bob Cratchit's house, and he's dressed up like Father Christmas, uh, like Santa Claus. And he's wearing a beard, so he's disguised, and uh, they don't know who he is. And as they're, they're interacting with him, uh, he, he's saying, he's giving gifts to all the kids, and he's just being kind, and, and he pulls down the mask, and they freak out, and Bob Cratchit's wife says something to the effect of, he's out of his mind. 
And Bob's trying to reassure her. He's like, no, I know he's not, but you can tell, like, Bob also thinks this. Uh, but he's trying to reassure her, no, 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 he's not, no, he's not. And, and then Scrooge immediately says, and we are going to make sure that we take care of Tiny Tim, that we get him to a doctor, and we get all of his medical bills billed, taken care of. And then Bob goes, he is crazy! Like, he is insane! Like, this, look at this man! Look at what he once was, and look at now what he is! There's no way that he's okay. Something's wrong here. Well, that's kind of how these people reacted. There's something not right here. We are scared, even though the evidence of our eyes is something good has happened. This man who was once once crazy, who was demon-possessed, who was wearing no clothes, who was wandering in the tombs, who was a a, a menace to society, he is no longer any of that. He is sitting at Jesus' feet, clothed and in his right mind, but we don't know what to do with this. What an incredible transformation. Jesus set this man free from those demons. And to an even greater degree, Your salvation is unbelievable. Jesus didn't just give you you back your natural life. He didn't just give you a a right mind. But but he has, has given you spiritual life. He has set us free. He has set us free from our bondage to sin. He has set us free from our penalty that that is due us for our sin. He has set us free from the power of death. We are no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer we're no longer slaves to our former desires. We are really truly new creations and it has everything to do with Jesus Christ and his power at work in us. Praise God for that transformation. Because apart from him, we would be hopeless. We would be dead in our sins, we would be alienated from God, and we would be destined for an eternity in hell, receiving all of God's wrath for our sin. But Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He came to to save sinners like us. He came to set free those who are in bondage to sin. And so this newness of life that we've experienced, it is remarkable. Don't lose sight of that. Remember this truth. And and as you remember it, that should stir us to say, I want more of Jesus. I want to know Him more. I want to love Him more. I want to serve Him more. We see that with the man who's been healed. He wants more of Jesus. He is sitting at Jesus' feet. That's a posture of humility, of teachability, of submission. He wants to learn from Jesus. He wants to follow Jesus. He wants to be obedient to Jesus. He's like, Jesus, wherever you're going, I want to go with you. I want to be with you. We can think of somebody else who kind of famously sits at Jesus' feet. Uh, Mary, the sister of Martha, the sister of Lazarus. We're going to see that in like two chapters from here. Mary and Martha have Jesus over and, and Mary comes and she just sits at Jesus' feet and she listens to his teaching. She's like, I I want more of Jesus. And that's what the demon-possessed man is doing. He wants to be with Jesus. He wants to know Jesus. He wants more of Jesus. And if his behavior wasn't enough, listen to to how it's described the way he talks. Read with me verses 37 to 39. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him, Jesus, to depart from them. For they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home 
and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. So the text says that this man, he begged Jesus that he might go with him. He wants to be with Jesus. And this is the exact opposite response of the crowd. If the man is the epitome of, like, I want more of Jesus, the crowd is the epitome of, I want less of Jesus. They say, go away. Please. We're scared. Please go. They saw the exact same thing that that had happened. The demon-possessed man who once was possessed, he's experienced this transformation. They see the transformation. Complete opposite responses. They don't want anything to do with Jesus. They come out. They see what Jesus has done. They see this man is not out of his mind any longer. But instead of clamoring to be with Jesus, instead of begging him to stay and to teach them and to be with them, they're afraid. They ask him to leave. They want nothing to do with him. But the man who was healed, he doesn't beg Jesus to go. He begs to go with Jesus. He's desperate to be with him. Let me go with you. You're my hope. You're my salvation. You're my refuge. Let me go with you. And this man's desire for Jesus, it was real. It wasn't the, it wasn't the whole, like some people wanted to be with Jesus. They wanted to follow Jesus around because he was doing miracles. And they were entertained by it. They thought it was interesting. They were intrigued by it. So they were like, yeah, this is good entertainment. I don't have to pay a dime. I get to go and I get to watch all these cool things happening. I like this. That's not what was going on with this man. How do we know? Because look at his response when he says, Jesus, let me go with you. Look at his response. Because see, Jesus, he doesn't say, sure, come along. Instead, Jesus says this, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And then listen to how Luke describes this man's response. It's very purposeful. See, the, the end of verse 39, it says here, he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. He does exactly what Jesus told him to do. This is the, this is the prime example of obedience. Jesus says, return to your home. And Luke says that the man went away. Jesus says, declare how much God has done for you. And Luke says, the man was proclaiming how much Jesus had done for him. I mean, you can't miss it. The man obeys Jesus. And it's not what he really wanted initially. What did he want? I want to go with you. Jesus says, no, we're not going to do that. And instead of saying, I'm going to do what I want to do, though, so I'm going to come with you, the man says, okay, I'm going to obey you. Because obeying you matters way more to me than whatever I wanted to do in the first place. This is so good for us to hear. Do you want more of Jesus or do you want less of Jesus? Two reasons from this passage. Jesus rules over all things and Jesus sets us free from sin. Now I mentioned at the outset of this sermon that the answer to that question, maybe sometimes we can oversimplify and say, like, obviously, I want more. We should want more of Jesus. But sometimes, our lives don't always match up to what we say that we want. We can say one thing with our words, but but then the way that we live says another thing. And that's why this man is such a good example to us of, of one who not only said, I want more of Jesus, paraphrase, he wants more of Jesus, but then he demonstrates it by the way that he lives. So we know the right answer. 
But does our life communicate that we want more of Jesus? Does our life say, I want more of Jesus? Or does it say that we want something else? So if, if you made the choice to be here this morning, if, you, if you're here because you, you said, I'm going to gather with God's people to worship God on this this morning, when you could have done a hundred different things as you drove into town, there's so many other things you could have done, but instead you came here, you made this choice, then you probably aren't like the demons in the crowd. You're probably not saying, I actively want Jesus to go away. You're probably not saying, I want less of Jesus. But... Are you actively pursuing him? Are you seeking to know him more in his word? Are you seeking to love him? Are you seeking to become more like him? So maybe the question isn't so much, do you want more or less of Jesus? The question is, do you want more of Jesus or do you want more of something else? Are we letting other things take priority? Things that maybe aren't inherently bad, but we're letting them become too important. Things like more comfort, or more pleasure, or more money, or more recognition, or more success, or more influence, or more status. Are we letting those things take priority over wanting more of Jesus? So big news this week, if you didn't read it, the actor who voiced Sebastian the Crab in The Little Mermaid passed away. His name is Samuel E. Wright. Okay, Sebastian the Crab from The Little Mermaid. Um, he's pretty famous. He did a really good job with the voice. It's a very unique voice. He did a good job. But I, I just want to read to you a quote that I came across as I was reading the article about his passing. And this was from 1991 that he said this. He said these words, Sebastian has given me what I've always wanted as an actor. Okay, so I just want to pause there for one moment. I'm reading that and I'm thinking, we're talking about a cartoon crab here. But this is what he's saying. It's giving me what I've always wanted. So, I mean, this is going to be big, right? This is going to be big. And it is. It's really big. Sebastian has given me what I've always wanted as an actor, and that's immortality. As far as I'm concerned, that's why I'm in the business. I want the whole world to love me, remember me forever. Okay, so I'm just, I don't don't know this man at all. I'm not, I don't know where his heart is. I'm just saying, that's a pretty, like, the statement in and of itself. That's pretty backwards, right? Like, I read that and thought, whoa, that's not the heart attitude that, that we should be having, especially about a cartoon crab. But that's not the heart attitude that we should be having. And then immediately, you know what I said to myself? I'm so guilty of that, though. I'm so guilty of fill in the blank. I want this. I want this for my life. I am, I am shooting for this. Fill in the blank. And it's not Jesus. It's just not. Now, I do, I want, I want to gain, I want success. I want to do well at what I set my mind to. And I, and I want that so much that I'm, I'm pursuing it at the expense of all else, including my love for Jesus. I am just as capable of distorting reality. I'm just as capable of getting it backwards. Failing to prioritize Christ. Failing to grasp who he is and how worthy he is of my worship and my adoration. The man who was healed of demons, he gets it. Like he's like, everything else doesn't matter in comparison to Jesus. I want more of you. The demons, they obviously don't get it. The crowd doesn't get it. They want less of Jesus. They want Jesus to leave them in peace. 
But this man, he wants more. So there are lots of, lots of ways, or lots of, we could be in lots of places this morning. There's lots of different, um, um, states that we could each be in spiritually. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, I am pursuing Jesus really well. Now obviously there's always room for growth, but maybe you're like, I am pursuing Christ wholeheartedly. I have, I have so many good things worked into my life to love Him more, to serve Him more. That's awesome. So I'm going to talk to those who are maybe sitting here this morning and are discouraged. Maybe you're sitting here and you're looking at your life and you're taking some honest inventory of your life. You're seeing ways that you have failed to measure up. Ways that you have failed to be more, to want more of Jesus. Now seeing that is not necessarily a bad thing. That can be a really good starting point. If you're sitting here and you're saying, I don't measure up. Well, that's a good starting point. We see our sin, we see our lack, and then from that place, we can grow and we can change by God's grace. And that starts with, this isn't going to be some crazy news for most of you, that starts with remembering the good news of the gospel. Remembering that that Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose again, defeating sin and death. Scripture says that God has lavished His grace upon us. He has lavished it upon us. We've been made new. We've been transformed. And so now we are able to live godly lives. We can develop healthy habits and routines in life, like regularly reading the Bible, spending time in prayer. We can study the Word. We can memorize it. We can meditate on it more regularly. We can engage more earnestly with others in Christian community, even like what we find here this morning with one another. It's there that we receive encouragement and accountability to help us to seek Jesus more fully. So I want to get just practical for a moment. I'm going to put a few plugs in, um, a few practical ways that, that you can just engage in the life of this church in a way that that. that that is moving towards, I, I want more of Jesus. So you've already heard it all, but now hopefully it's couched in the context of, how do I respond to this sermon? Uh, so ladies, be a part of the mentoring ministry that's starting up. Like, go, like, run. I want to see all the ladies running out that door to go sign up after the service. Like, go be, be a part of that. Be an encouragement to each other. If you're sitting here and you're like, I've never been involved in anything like that in my entire life, awesome. This is an opportunity to learn. Like, go and learn. Join the other ladies. Ladies are not going to come up to you and be like, so how many years have you been involved in mentoring? They're not going to do that. But if you are a lady who's like, I have been involved in years in mentoring. Awesome. Invest in other ladies who haven't been involved in mentoring. Like, it doesn't matter where you are on that spectrum. Go be a part of it. It's good stuff that's happening. It's an opportunity to grow in your relationship with other ladies and then ultimately to grow in your walk with the Lord. So take advantage of it. And men... Be a part of the reading group that's starting in a couple weeks. Like, come on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and if you can't make it, like, uh, sometimes that's fine. Like, it's not this, like, you have to be here every Tuesday and Thursday until we get to Revelation. No, come when you're able. Bring your lunch if you want to. And we're just going to sit in the foyer in a circle. We're just going to read the Word together. Just get in the Word together. Be an encouragement to each other. Hold each other just accountable. Like, I'm coming because I want to read the Word. So whether you read it 
every day in your daily devotions or you're struggling with reading it, you haven't read it lately, it doesn't matter where you fall on that. Just come, let's read it together. Let's read God's word. Like Steve said, you don't have to be a great reader. You don't have to, if you don't want to read, you don't have to read. That's totally fine. And if you're also saying that day or those days don't work for me, that time doesn't work for me, come find me. Let's talk. And we'll find another time for another group of guys to get together. Like, don't let any of that stop you from just getting in the Word, reading it with other men. Teenage girls, be a part of the girls' summer uh, Bible study. And do you want to you know God's Word better? Do you want to you get into like, the, the question of what does it mean to be a true woman? Man, go be a part of that. Come Wednesday nights. There are so many ways. I mean, that was three things. There are a litany of other things that I could say about ways that you could just take practical steps to seek Christ out. You want Jesus more. Here are some ways. Take advantage of those ways. But it might not mean just getting involved in things in the life of the church. Maybe it means just spending more quality time with the Lord in prayer and in reading the Word in personal devotions. Maybe you've set that aside. Maybe other things have have crowded that out in your life. Jump back in. Get back into that. Maybe it means reading some good books to like help you to understand God's Word better. Maybe you're like, I'm reading through this book of the Bible and it's not making a lot of sense. Well, I need some good resources. Find some good resources. Talk with me about good resources. I'd love to point you in that direction. Whatever it may be, let's do the hard work of following after Jesus. Okay, one last word of, of practical application. I intentionally saved this word for last because it's really the most important. If you want to grow in grace, if you, if you want to want Jesus more, ask God for his help. We can't do it in our own strength. I can't just muster up more diligence in the Christian life. Read the Psalms and see how often the psalmist cries out to God. Read even just Psalm 119 and see the ways in which the psalmist wants more of God in his word. Give me more. God, be my help. Do this according to your promises. Do this according to your steadfast love. Do this according to the riches of your grace. Like, according to, according to, God, be my help. Because we need God's help by the power of his spirit to do anything in the Christian life. So let's ask God for help. Pray that God would produce that growth in us. So if you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking you've talked to that one category of people the whole time. You've talked to all those people who wanted to be here. Well, I don't want to be here. Well, now I'm going to say something to you. First of all, I'm really glad that you're here. You might not be glad, but I'm glad if you came here kicking and screaming, I'm super glad that you're here, first of all. Second of all, the invitation to the gospel is absolutely extended to you. And turn from sin. It's despair. It just leads to a life of of futility. Turn from your sin, trust in Christ, and find eternal life in Him. Jesus warmly receives all who come to Him. He does not turn any away that the Father draws. So come to Him today. Trust in Jesus today. If you want to talk more about that, find me, find Steve, find another elder, uh, find somebody you came to church with today, talk to them about who Jesus is and what it looks like to live a life uh, that, is, that is pleasing to God that's found in him. So church, let's seek more of Jesus this week. And let's remember that, that through the cross, 
Jesus has brought us near to God. And so let's seek to draw near to God ourselves this week as well. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the hope of salvation that is found in Christ. We thank you that he came near to us. That he took on flesh. That he lived the perfect life that we could not live. Died the death that we absolutely deserved in order to bring us to you. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us. Help us to to continually live the Christian life day by day to persevere in it, to desire more of You, more of Your Son, more of Your Spirit's work in us. We pray that You would help us in that way. Help us also to be a community of believers that, that, that love each other, uh, that encourage each other, that, that hold each other accountable, that seek to, to lovingly call each other out to, 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 to growing grace. Help us to look at ourselves, to investigate ourselves, to examine ourselves, and and help us, Lord, to, to seek Christ, to seek Him in His Word, and then to seek to live obediently to all that You have said. We thank You for the grace that You give. We thank You that it is found in the hope of the Gospel. We pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.